What's going on everyone and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Lately. I am your host Michael Peterson. Today we've got a special bye week episode of the show. I'm joined by Gavino Borquez, the managing editor for ChargersWire.com. That's a part of the USA Today family of websites. Uh, today we're going to recap the Monday night football game. We're going to talk a little bit about the coaching staff, our issues, our pros uh, of what we like so far, kind of take a look back and, and talk about the job they've done at this point, and then finish it with some 2021 prospects from this year's draft. So without further ado, guys, let's get into the interview. All right, I'm joined now by one of my really good friends in the Chargers community. I mean, good friend in general, uh, Gavino Borquez. He is currently the managing editor for Chargers Wire. That's part of the USA Today community, their umbrella. Um, does phenomenal work. I mean, there's not a ton of Chargers guys, and, and he's you know still one of the best. So, uh, Gavino, really appreciate you coming in. I know it's a bye week. There isn't all that much to talk about, but we've got some good topics today. But before we kind of get into that, uh, how are you doing? Pretty good, man. Staying healthy, and um, yeah, just glad that there there's football on. Um, a miss of all of the COVID stuff going on. You know, we've seen more and more positive cases pop up, but again, fortunately, none have been uh, linked to the Chargers. So let's hope that it stays that way. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible to see how many teams have been affected. You know, either in a major way or minor way. Uh, having scares, false positives, stuff like that. There's, it's actually an alarming amount of false positives, but thankfully, you know, the Chargers haven't been hit with it. The the team, the Rams, who they share SoFi with, haven't been hit by anything, which is which is good to see, as well. Um, and you know, today was this Friday. Now the the Colts were the latest team to be hit with some positives, but it looks like. I think one of them might have been a false positive because Jim Ursay, the Colts uh, GM and owner, I believe, uh, talked or actually he tweeted out that that the game is still on. So that's good news. It's good news that we're getting these scares, but these scares aren't snowballing into something much worse. Um, but let's that's neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about the negatives. Um, we're going to try to stay positive despite a one and four record for the Chargers at their bye week. There's still so many positives to come out of this, and one of the biggest positives to date has to be Justin Herbert's performance in Monday Night Football against the Saints. Yes, the game didn't go as well. The the defense collapsed. Um, it was another typical Chargers loss that we've, you know, as much as we like to think we've gotten used to them, we haven't. But instead, again, dwelling on this blown lead, let's look at Herbert's performance. And I think I read this right. I know I kind of got some of these stats mixed up, but uh, he became the youngest player to throw four touchdowns on Monday Night Football and the first rookie to achieve the feat. No interceptions this game. It was his first game without a turnover. Couldn't have come at a better time again playing a team like the Saints and Drew Brees under the lights on Monday Night Football. Uh, threw for, I think, 264, um, which is a season low. You know, his completion percentage was a season low. But, I mean, these were, you know, pedestrian numbers. He still did a solid job against the Blitz, against, uh, you know, no pressure. Give us your thoughts real quick on just when you were watching this Monday night game, some of the thoughts going through your head when you saw him, especially the first touchdown under pressure against Keenan Allen and just his performance from start to finish. Phenomenal, man. Um, obviously, it's a huge difference with the offensive line that he had at, at Oregon mm -hmm. and then what he has now. So just to see him make these plays under pressure, it's been fantastic. And I think um, most Chargers fans would – would go into each game um, in previous seasons when Rivers was on our center and they would just be, you know, what is going to come? Because, you know, that Rivers is a mobile quarterback. 
And with the offensive line being below average, it was um, set up to be a disaster. So with Herbert, um, I think I've seen it on social media all across different platforms. Like he is like ranks among the top quarterbacks that are, are fun to watch just given just the first four games. So to see him do what he did in college, but also make improvements in areas that were concerning for uh, most analysts, it's pretty damn cool. And I think I saw a stat today that there's uh, two players in modern NFL history with a hundred plus passer rating and um, 1,150 plus passing yards in their first four games. And that's Herbert and um, Patrick Mahomes. And I know that Herbert has received a lot of high praise from analysts, former um, NFL players, greats. And, you know, I think before the Monday night game, we heard um, comparison to, to Andrew Luck and obviously the correlation between, uh, between them and, and, Pep, and quarterback coach Pep Hamilton uh, kind of has to do something with that. But he, he's calm. He's composed and he's just fun, man. Um, he's just making plays again, inside and outside the pocket. We haven't seen too much on his feet. You know, we've seen some specific design plays for him, but not too much in that area. But, um, you know, he's just a, a lot of fun to watch and the best is yet to come. That's the, that's the beauty of it is because despite this team being one in four, I think it's a one in four where fans aren't as, upset they're more optimistic about the future having justin herbert under center yeah man it's it honestly you couldn't have scripted a better start you know you could script some wins into these last four games but in terms of how he's playing and these milestones that he's hitting you know i'm looking over some of the numbers now just trying to to remember some of these feats and and you know right here most pre, uh, most passing yards under pressure so far this season uh number one is russell wilson josh allen and justin herbert are tied for second in the nfl with 482 yards under pressure and then behind those two is patrick mahomes i think i saw a stat the other day that said you know here are your top three quarterbacks um with throws or excuse me, I think it was touchdown passes of over 20 plus yards. And I, it, the top three were Russell Wilson, um, Patrick Mahomes, and I believe it was a tie with Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. And then the guy's been rookie of the week the past two weeks against playing, you know, the best defenses that he's faced, right? Like, yes, he played the Chiefs um, and, and the Panthers, but against the Bucks and the Saints, who are both top six, seven, eight defenses, you know, all across the board, he balled out back-to-back -back rookie of the weeks and, that's just absolutely incredible. He is everything that we hoped he would possibly be, but about a year or two sooner. And I'll tell you what, all the stereotypes that came with him as a prospect, of course they crossed my mind. You know, there isn't a ton of 6'6", like pure 6'6 and up quarterbacks who have found success. You know, you think of Brock Osweiler. Um, I'm blanking on the guy from Memphis who played with the Broncos for a little bit. Uh, God, I can't even think of his That's name. That's Paxton like, Lynch. Paxton Lynch, there you are, another six, 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 seven guy. Like, and then he was an Oregon quarterback, and, and Oregon has had some really good college quarterbacks, but uh, they haven't really made it too well in the NFL. You know, we thought Marcus Mariota was going to be one of the greatest things in a while, and while he wasn't like the worst thing in the world, he, I think he got some bad breaks, and now he is a, a backup quarterback for the Oakland Raiders. So, you're right, the guy has been just off the charts. I mean, I it, neither in my wildest dreams could I have imagined that this is where we would be with Justin Herbert, you know, this early in the season and talking about what he's done to this extent, all these yards, all these touchdowns. I mean, I recently did an article that talked about 
how his stats look right now compared to like other notable players, you know, whether young or some established veterans. And he's up there with guys like Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. And most of those guys have played at least one more game than Herbert has. And Herbert also has a, a rushing touchdown. So he's got 10 plus touchdowns, you know, on the season already, just the three interceptions. He's been phenomenal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, but moving on and kind of segueing here, as great as Herbert has been, he hasn't been good enough or, or just he's been good enough no matter what, if you're on any, any sort of decent team. But for whatever reason, his good performances haven't been enough because the defense keeps collapsing and the rest of the team, for whatever reason, cannot seem to finish these ball games. So a lot has come up about the coaches. Uh, and specifically um, Gus Bradley and Anthony Lynn. So the thing about Anthony Lynn is people want to try and, and pin it on him saying, you know, he, it's up to the head coach to give your team the killer instinct, right. To, to teach them and to instill a mindset of, of how you finish games, staying strong, you know, keep the pedal to the metal, keep your foot on their neck, all those different cliches and metaphors, right. These are all things that teams need and preach uh, when, when they're talking about finishing games, especially when they've, you know, piled on a 10, 17, 21 point lead, you know, stuff like that. So you look at Lynn, you look at Gus Bradley, it is his defense, right? That's, that's allowing these points and allowing these teams to come back. Um, And, you know, before we get too far, Anthony Lynn, as of right now, we felt good in the first two years, haven't felt great the last two years. Give us your thoughts on whether Anthony Lynn deserves any blame, how much blame does he deserve, and just your overall thoughts on how you think he's doing at this point in his career. Yeah, man, I think we kind of wish that he would be the same coach that he was in 2018 uh, when the team went to the playoffs, but it seems like it's been a downward spiral since then. And, um, it's unfortunate because the team has a talented roster and any team would uh, desire to have the players that they do now. Um, and Lynn is definitely to blame with some of their woes um, because I think when you look at their stats, they're what they're three and 13, right. Dating back to last season. And mm-hmm. what is it? One score losses. What was it in one score? Or games it's or in, in games uh, decided within eight, eight or less points. So technically one score games. Yes. <laughs> And some of that has to fall on the coaching staff. And of course, it's one of those years like last year where the team has been riddled by injuries and it's easy to point fingers at that. And then it's gets to the point where you're wondering, okay, how many times do we have to keep going through this where we're just going to be blaming the injuries? Um, you know, Lynn, he's the head coach for his reason. You know, he's going to have say in the game planning and the play calling. And then that has been, piss poor to say the least um, recently. And I wrote an article yesterday saying that uh, the time is now to let uh, Justin Herbert cook um, specifically talking about like when they started to resort to the run on early downs and they get stuck in these um, third and long situations or second and long situation. Um, and that kind of allowed the saints to come, um, come back from a 17 point deficit. So he has a lot of say in what they're going to do. And 
from the beginning, Lynn said that we were going to establish the run, but it seems like he's not rolling with what's working because clearly I get it. You know, he wants to keep Justin Herbert upright. He knows that the offensive line um, isn't doing anything uh, that's going to have a, a positive impact. So he's like, all right, let's just run the ball. But shoot, you know, even that department wasn't that great. And clearly the loss of Austin Eckler is evident because, you know, we don't have a b- other back like him where he can weave through traffic and just kind of get skinny through, through, um, through bodies. But, you know, I think we are really excited for Joshua Kelly too. And he's been underperforming since that big game. And um, yeah, like I really think going back to Anthony Lynn, that it, some of it does fall on his shoulders because again, like I mentioned, he has a, a say in the game planning and play calling. And then with Shane Sykin, yeah, he, he calls the play, but he is going to have the one that like is going to have say of what they're going to do, you know, because Shane Sykin is under Lynn, you know, he's not the head coach by any means, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it's just to kind of say that it's all Steichen's fault and Lynn has nothing to do with it. That's, that's wrong. Lynn absolutely has something to do with the, the play calling. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you're correct. Um, like Steichen has a hundred percent of the duties for play calling. Like Anthony Lynn said that to us uh, on the one call we got with the media this week. Um, he said he has his zero to do with play call, but you'd be remiss to not assume that there is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I, gosh, I'm totally brain farting, but like, like Lynn hovers over him. Lynn kind of gives him an idea, tries to build a mindset within Shane Steichen, um, influence. There we go. I cannot believe I forgot that word, but like Lynn is Lynn's thoughts, mindsets, how he wants his football team to look and act and execute, of course, influences Shane Steichen's um, decision-making when it comes to uh, calling plays. But you got to think like Lynn's smart enough to, to look at the numbers and the numbers are striking, right? Like their numbers on, on uh, first and second downs, first and second longs, how often they're running it compared to passing. it. Like it's pretty insane. I think at one point, I think it's how the game ended actually, but the chargers had 16, I think it was 16 first downs at one point and they uh, ran it. So yeah, they ran the ball on 16 first downs and ended up with 13 rushing yards. That is some damning bit of numbers. Second and long wasn't too good either. They put Justin and long or Justin Herbert in third and longs over and over and over again. And, you know, he's had to throw the chargers out of these holes and he's done a good job doing it. It's the reason why you see these good numbers when it comes to him under pressure, him being, you know, efficient on, on third and long and these money downs. So you're correct that you can't blame Steichen for it because hundred percent at least because Lynn obviously has his, his, his claws or his fingers in there um, a little bit, but you'd like to think Shane Steichen is smart enough. And yes, he's, he is a younger offensive coordinator. He hasn't been doing it all that long. Um, but you'd like to think, especially after a game like Monday, to look at the numbers and say, whoa, we're running it way too much. And what worries me, and I kind of asked him a question about, you know, when against the Bucks, they ran it 23 times for 46 yards, you know, average two yards on the dot. And I tried to get an idea of, of why it even got there in the first place. You know, if, if you're running it and you're not having success and you get to like 15 runs and you're averaging two yards per carry, why are you running it that much more? Why'd you get to 20 carries? Why'd you get to 23 carries? And I wanted to get a sense of, of he thinks even despite them not being efficient on the ground, did he think that it opens up the play action because Herbert's had phenomenal um, success on play action. And I think their, their play action continues to be open 
And maybe it has to do with them continuing the run. And I think there's been studies that, you know, you don't have to be successful running the football for play action to be successful. You just kind of simply need to uh, run the football. So maybe there's some correlation there. Maybe that's what they're looking at. Maybe they just don't ever want to give the defense the, the comfortability of not having to worry about the run. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so maybe it is, maybe it's not. But we're talking about the offense now. I think we should move over to the defense because that's kind of been the biggest issue. So Gus Bradley, for those of you who, who still don't exactly know, Gus Bradley runs a really heavy zone uh, cover three specifically scheme where he loves having a single high safety. He loves having a, a safety linebacker role hybrid guy. That, that is Derwin James in this defense who can play on the back end, but also come up into the box, defend the slots, cover tight ends wherever they go. And even sometimes blitz off the edge, like a do everything player. He likes to have one of those guys. And, and he had two of those guys in Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor when he was with Seattle. Here with the Chargers, he has Derwin James. Well, Derwin James hasn't seen the field at all the last two seasons. He's played five games last year. He's not seen the field this year. And I think he's hurt and bad for that type of player. Regardless, he still has so much talent on his defense. You have your edge rushers in Bosa and Ingram. You have Casey Hayward, Desmond King, Chris Harris Jr., who's unfortunately hurt right now. Um, there's talent here, right? And yes, there's some injuries. And maybe we can just sit here and say, you know, it's the injury's fault and there's nothing else we can do about it. But the team is doing well. It's not like they're getting blown out. It's not like offenses are walking all over this defense. Even with second and third stringers playing significant snaps, they are doing well and holding these offenses to minimal points and yardage in the first half. But it's the second half. Is he making a lack of adjustments? Is he making the wrong adjustments? We just don't know what's going on. And that's what's so excruciatingly frustrating because it's almost like lather, rinse, repeat. Every time the second half gets here, you know, it doesn't matter if we have 14, 17 point lead. We know something's going to happen in the last couple of games. That's exactly what has happened. So give us your thoughts real quick on whether or not you think Gus Bradley deserves to essentially, you know, how long do you think he should stay here if, if this is what we're getting from the defense? And, and if he shows another bad outing against, you know, the Jaguars in week seven, like, do you think he's going to last with the Chargers much longer? Yeah, man, I thought that everything was going um, in the positive direction, but then kind of just seeing these last few outings, it just seems like it's nothing's changing. And I know that he, he has made changes actually uh, to the defense. Like this past Monday, we saw um, more looks with two deep safeties. Um, but it seems like the inconsistency has, you know, gotten them hard um and we saw like this past monday um just the first half everything's consistent everything looks good um and then it just all falls apart because he's trying to go with different looks um and then that comes to to bite them and you know like i think lynn was the one that said that he's like we like to keep everything in front of us but mm -hmm. you know and then kind of just prevent explosive plays but when he's just messing with the uh, alignment a lot, I just think that that uh, really hurts them quite a bit because they can't be be consistent. Like they're playing fast in the first half, but then like all these like changes start to come. And um, obviously the injuries, of course, to key players uh, factors into that as well. But um, that's when we see some blown coverages. Uh, just everything is a mess. You know, Drew Brees is looking back to uh, – a stud quarterback compared to what he was in that first half. So I just think with the, the different looks that he's trying to incorporate, you know, he's, yes, he's throwing a more man. Um, he's not blitzing as much. Like he, he said that he was going to before the season, but I just think that uh, 
he doesn't have his mind made up of what he wants to do. And he's trying to like game plan by just throwing all these different wrinkles out there. And um, it is not going so well. And if he continues to, uh, you know, especially with this bye week and not make any changes to the defense, uh, it's he's definitely on the hot seat. Like it's, it's he's just become warmer and warmer. Um, right now, there's already some questions like of what he's doing, and of course, is it going to fall onto? Oh, he doesn't have Chris Harris Jr. He doesn't have Derwin James. He doesn't have uh, Tranquil. He doesn't have Justin Jones. That's where it's just like concerning and it you know how much can it actually fall on the injuries compared to his game planning because he has some talented pieces on that defense where he can make it happen we clearly see it in the first half but just the adjustments in the second half isn't doesn't match up to it so there is some head scratching right there mm-hmm. yeah and we've seen uh coordinators go in the middle of the season right last year uh, Ken Wisenhunt was fired as the offensive coordinator after the team failed to rush for over 40 yards in four straight games. And that was the first time that feat has ever happened in the Super Bowl era. So that's pretty insane. And if the Chargers, you know, they became you, you guys have seen all the stats, right? It's it's the Chargers have blown back to back 17 point leads um, each of the last two weeks. And that's like they're one of the first teams to do that or or they're one of few, and then if they blow a 17-point lead against, let's say, the Jags in Week 7, they'll become the first team to do it in three straight games. Like, it's not good company. I think since 2010, the Chargers were – what's the stat? It was only four teams have blown a 17-point lead on Monday Night Football in the last 10 years, and three of them came against the Chargers, meaning the Chargers were the ones to blow three of those four 17-point leads, which is insane, and just adds salt to the wound, which is just – Again, something else not a lot of us want to think about too much, but this podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Uh, let's head on over to our final subject. I know this is this is kind of one of your favorite areas to talk about. It is, especially for me when we kind of get into draft season. But of course, it is prospects for the Chargers. It's the bye week. There's not much else to talk about. Let's talk about what this team may look like in their new additions this time next year. So in terms of 21, 2021 prospects, uh, positions of need, give us your top three right now, and then we'll get into specific players. Yeah. So top three, um, tackle, um, cornerback and see, it's a toss between edge and wide receiver, but I feel like they need more, pass rush help mm-hmm. off the edge. Yes. So I, I, it, would, it would be in that order. Um, tackle corner and an edge. Yeah. I have the same three tackle corner edge. 
Um, even if Melvin Ingram walks, Chenin Wosu comes in and does well, I think this defense needs more than, you know, your two starting edge rushers. You need a third guy who can come in on limited snaps and make his presence felt. So that's why I have edge in the top three as well. Let's quickly go over some guys at each of these positions. Now, offensive linemen, um, this is where I know uh, at least top prospects. There's guys like Stanford's Walker Little, Texas' Samuel Cosme, um, even a guy like from FCS Powerhouse, North Dakota State, Dylan Reduns. I mean, you've got some good prospects this year. Um, I don't know if you're going to have the same top guys as, as this past season. You have Penny Sewell from uh, Oregon, who was Justin Herbert's left tackle, unless the Chargers blow the entire season out then, uh, you know, they're not going to pick that high to, to pick up Penny. Um, but just give us some guys that you like potentially, you know, let's just call it in, in the teens, middle of the first round. Uh, you know, if the Chargers get lucky, maybe early 20s. But give us some of your favorite names at offensive line. Yeah. Um, Dylan Raddins is a guy that I really like. Um, you mentioned Cosme. Um, Jackson Carmen from Clemson is another guy that I like. Um Kind of, and I'm kind of just listing guys that fit the mold of what James Camp and Kovitz, you know, having the uh, the athleticism uh, that's going to fit the scheme. Um, so them, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, um, one that's kind of been floating around social media, Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, and then going into Pac-12, um, who I think can climb up boards, and that is uh, Abraham Luc- Lucas. Uh, tackle for the uh, for the Cougars so those are some guys some tackles specifically that I that I really like you know I think interior offensive line has another position that they could address in the draft Um, but then again if we want some some versatility guys a couple of guys that we mentioned um, like Rashawn Slater from Northwestern uh, they can kind of provide some some versatility there and then you know the athletic guys like Dylan Redunds who could be a um, a promising left tackle and uh, even Alex Leatherwood from uh, Alabama who played guard for the Crimson Tide as well. But uh, Penny uh, Sewell, I don't know if we'll be able to, to get them, even though we're picking fourth if the season was, was to end today. Uh, I think the Chargers are going to start winning games and they're going to kind of crawl out of that uh, top five area. You know, I want to say that they'll be picking in the in the teens or early 20s, if anything. So. All right. Now the next two are cornerback and edge. We know the Chargers are getting a little bit older at the cornerback position. Casey Hayward's, you know, no spring chicken. Chris Harris, who they signed, um, isn't that young either anymore, unfortunately. And then uh, you've got young guys in Mike Davis. You've got Desmond King. But, you know, there's some free agent drama potentially going on there. Uh, give us some of your favorite corners to potentially be picked on. Probably, let's just say, day two uh, and some day three picks. If, if we're just assuming they're going to go offensive line in the first round. Yeah, man. So we're actually going to see quite a few in this matchup between Georgia and Alabama tomorrow. So I put out an article saying, uh, you know, the top prospect, uh, top prospects in this game uh, that could be on the Chargers radar. And a few of them are uh, Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, uh, DJ Daniel. And those are just all on the uh, Georgia side. As far as Alabama, they have a corner named Josh Joby, who could be a third, fourth rounder. And then, um, yeah, like there's, and then Patrick Sertain, I think, uh, you know, he's going to be a top 10 pick. So the Chargers would have to be picking in the top 10, I think, uh, to, to warrant him or to be able to land him. And then outside of that game, um, you know, this class has a lot of length and it has a lot of speed. So I think that Gus Bradley, if he's still here, has to be drooling over it because a couple of guys that I do 
like that I think fit the mold, like Sean Wade from Ohio State. You have Paulson Adebo from Stanford. Um, Cameron Bynum, who's one of my personal favorite players um, from Cal. Uh, Keith Taylor from Washington. Um, again, some pretty stout corners in this class, and uh, I really enjoy watching them. Um, I'm starting to kind of d- dive deeper into the prospects themselves, and I've come away like very pleased with this uh, cornerback class, and I think the Chargers will have a lot of options um, come draft day. Good. We like to have a lot of options. Um, we know Gus Bradley's archetype, right? Prototype. It's, it's six foot plus it's, you know, they can be over 200 under 200 doesn't matter. He likes length. He likes height. Uh, and then going on lastly, edge, I know you got to get running uh, here soon, but give us some of your favorite edge guys. Uh, this is a group that I don't know many besides the top guys, like the two from Miami, Greg three or so Jalen Phillips. I know there's plenty of other guys, but who do you think could be potential targets either at the base end position or heck even at the Leo position? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they just need more depth. And, you know, you'll mention like Isaac Rochelle, but I don't see him as like a long-term option. Wosu has proven himself to actually be uh, Melvin Ingram's replacement if he's um, if he's gone. But, you know, this is a league where you just can't have too many pass rushers. And I think clearly this past weekend, or I'm sorry, this past week on Monday, we saw that the Chargers just lacked depth at the uh, at the edge position. Um, guys that I really like, um, you know, I think Gregory Rousseau will be um, off the board by the time the Chargers are picking. Hamilcar Rashid from Oregon State is a guy that I really like. Um, uh, Joe Tyrone um, from Washington. Uh, Shaka Tony from Penn State. Um, Patrick Jones from Pittsburgh is a guy that I like. And there was one other guy that I watched. Um, who was he? I have my list here. Um, Jason, uh, it's Jason Oa from uh, Penn State. So, you know, those are like the few that really stood out to me that are at the top. Um, and again, there's always risers, but, uh, but yeah, you know, other positions of need, um, I think, are is wide receiver. I don't know if they're going to go with the wide receiver position early. You know, having a young quarterback, I wouldn't be surprised if they did go that route just because you want to invest into to Herbert having a solid line is uh is absolutely necessary and uh they need to finally do it and take offensive linemen uh, come draft day but wide receiver position I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they invested a uh, a day two pick on so it'll all be interesting to see how it unfolds and you know again it's still too early but with me, I've put out two draft guys the past couple of years and I try to just provide insight throughout the uh the whole season. So I get a lot of comments saying like, you know, it's only five games in, what are you doing right now? But it's like, I try to do this year round. And fortunately with COVID, I wasn't able to get a head start um, early on because with all the uncertainty with the college football season. So I'm kind of just playing catch up right now. And um, if you follow me on, on Twitter, you'll kind of be able to see that it's starting to all unfold with prospects. So I'll be putting out more scouting notebooks and um, kind of just filling in on who the chargers might be targeting. Yeah, man, draft season is it's a fun time and it's going to be obviously different with this college football season going to be so unusual and, and abbreviated in some cases like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 haven't even started yet. So there's some guys who, you know, we're not even aren't even on our radar right now who are going to maybe start playing in late October uh, and all of a sudden they may end up in the first round. Like that's how crazy this draft season can get. So guys, stay tuned to uh, 
all of Gavino's coverage, obviously. And, you know, speaking of his coverage, Gavino, uh, I know you wanted to get out of here. I don't want to take up too much more of your day. So why don't you go ahead and tell everyone where they can follow your work, Twitter and all that. Yeah. So I'm primarily on Twitter. Um, I do have an Instagram if you wanted to follow me uh, on there as well, but it's just, it's Gavino Borquez, no underscore, nothing like that. It's just Gavino Borquez. And um, again, I'll be doing just strictly chargers content, but also, draft content um via for the chargers as well so well it's absolutely fantastic guys again go cover him go follow him uh he just puts out so much information regarding the nfl draft uh specifically geared towards the chargers which there aren't a ton of people who do that i try to do my my part but i don't think there's anyone who beats chargers draft coverage better uh than gavino but gavino i really appreciate you coming on um you know we could always talk for hours and hours about this stuff and and most of that obviously happens off these but we can't make a two-hour podcast unless people want that but we'll we'll talk about that a different day maybe we um, will but- actually have some time because i think uh, had i not had work then i think we could have probably chatted for a little bit longer and i'm sure we would still be on the topic of uh the play calling and then just honestly going over uh awards through the bye week of what we Mm -hmm. see through the first five weeks i know we wanted to get into that but maybe we can get into that another episode well yeah actually i mean it is a bye week and uh with no game to recap next week uh maybe we can make that hop on again yeah yeah, maybe we'll get to doing that, but uh, you got to get going. So, man, I really appreciate you coming on. It's always an absolute blast talking Chargers with you. Uh, just enjoy the rest of your day, man, and we'll talk to you later. And that does it for today's show, guys. As always, appreciate you listening in. Great conversation with Gavino. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Catch us early next week, midday, midwit next week, something like that. We're going to get back together, do another episode, uh, kind of get more detail into the draft prospects, who we like, why we like them, how they're a good fit with the Chargers. And then we're going to give a few bi-week awards, you know, coaches and players that we think have done well, maybe not so well, and and just kind of have some fun uh, with this early bi-week. If you guys don't already, follow me at Twitter at ZoneTracks, that's spelled Z-O-N-E-T-R-A-C-K-S. If you don't as well, go ahead, check out BoltsFromTheBlue.com. That is SB Nation's Los Angeles Chargers community. Come join the family. We have a ton of fun over there. But that's it for me, guys. Appreciate it as always. I'll talk to you next week.